continuing our series on normal Christianity. Uh, last week we were looking at Psalm 139 and I got about two-thirds of the way through it. So what I'm going to do today is polish that off and also add a few extra little bits on the end uh, just to encourage you and challenge you this morning. Um, I also want you to understand that um, Thursday night when we're going to talk about sex, we're going to be talking about that under the heading of normal Christianity. You know, what, what are the norms, what are acceptable for us, what, you know, how should we live in light of what the Bible teaches us. So um, all of this is kind of coming under the same umbrella. I'm going to read the psalm again, Psalm 139. I'm going to read that again and then we'll get into the the last bits of it. Okay, you ready? All right. I've pressed the button so I've officially started. Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. So last week, we, um, I hope at least we saw that we are known by God. That God knows us intimately. He knows us intimately because he created us. He, knitted, uh, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He put all the constituent parts that make you you together uh, so that you became you. The, the giftedness and the, uh, the uniqueness that is you was all crafted by God, was all designed. Uh, the Bible teaches us before the beginning of time, God had designed it before anything even came to be. 
that God had ordained your life. He had, he had decided that you would be, he decided what you would be like, and he had set out a, a path for you, and he'd already marked in his calendar the days of your life before they even started. That's how well you are known by God. And we also learnt that we cannot escape the presence of God, because God has decided that he will be with us. And this is not just to do with the fact that God is omnipresent, you know, that God is everywhere all the time, but actually God wants to make his presence felt. God wants his presence to be manifest in our lives, that we would know, actually, because we, we experience him, that we would know that he is there, that he is with us, that he wants to be with us, that he wants to have a, a, an ongoing conversation with us, that he wants to be speaking into our lives, that he wants us to be taking us to places that we haven't been before and um, just wants everything that is good for us. We also came to understand, I hope, that none of this happens by accident, but all of this happens by the purpose, the will, the design of God. That when you were born, you might have been a surprise, but you weren't an accident. (laughs) And you weren't a surprise to God, because God knew. (laughs) Were you a surprise? Absolutely, what a wonderful surprise. Congratulations, Izzy, on the degree. Izzy's just graduated with a, with a, what did you, 2-1. That's absolutely brilliant. That puts you in about the top 10% academically in the country. That's amazing. Well done. Take a bow. (laughs) Um, God put all of that into Izzy before he even created the world he got a design and a plan that was her and he gave her that giftedness and he gave her those insights and those abilities and it's all in his plan and you are what God has created you to be you might not have grown into the fullness of that yet but I'm going to challenge you about that this morning because God created you to be something pretty spectacular I want to just reflect just for a moment on that kind of weird bit in the middle uh, where David wants the wicked to be slain, <laughs> and um, I, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to this later. But just for the moment, to say that, you know, David is writing this psalm in a situation where there are people coming out against him, who are making his life difficult, who are clearly wanting to undermine him, and uh, clearly wanting to undermine his faith and, and wreck what is going on, uh, all the good stuff that's going on around David. And uh, this is his heart cry. Clearly the pressure is getting to him. And we all have moments like that. Okay? Uh, this is his heart cry. Um, he's obviously in pain here. It's kind of seeping out into this psalm. I like this because it means it's real. Because uh, you know, it, the pain is real, but the praise is also real. That actually, and the, and the challenge and the lesson for us in this is this, that in the midst of the, the pain, in the midst of the challenge and the trial, which clearly comes out here in those few verses, the dominant thought in David's mind here is praise of God. The dominant attitude in David is, Lord, search my heart and see actually if there's something wrong in there that needs dealing with. He's poured out his heart on the page and said, I hate these wicked people because they hate you. You know, I I wish there was an end to these people because they've come out against you. And he's poured his heart out on the page, but his next immediate reflection is, Lord, look into my heart and see if there's anything that needs dealing with. And if there's something that needs dealing with, please feel free to get in there and deal with it. What a great attitude. 
You know, that, that under, under all of that pressure and in all of that, what must have been quite an emotional and, uh, you know, difficult and challenging time, he's able as he sits to reflect both to worship God and to invite God to come in and have a bit of an internal examination with him to see what shape his heart is in and to see whether his attitudes are right, to see whether his perspective is right. And that's really fantastic. Oh, that we would learn to do that. Because it's a constant challenge. I, um, I had a neighbor in yesterday um, in the middle of the afternoon. I hadn't met this guy before, um, so I don't know anything about him. I, he lives a little bit further up the road. He was wanting to complain about the car parking, and rightly so, because people had double parked all the way up Wadsworth Road and had there been need to get a fire engine down here yesterday it would never have made it you know um, I, I, you know, people need to think I hope it was none of you people need to think before they park okay? um, but he came in he was very upset because it's double part and he had trouble getting into his drive and, uh, and I'm talking to him and, I, and I'm just praying as I'm talking to him I'm saying Lord first of all I need some wisdom here because I really I want this guy to go away happier than he came in but secondly, you know, help me to understand what's going on here so that my attitude will reflect something good and godly and helpful to him. And I, I really believe God helped me. Um, you know, and in the context of that conversation was able to say to him, you know, a good attitude came out of me. I'm sure that's the Holy Spirit because it's not naturally me. This good attitude came out of me and I was able to say to him, you know, actually I'd, I feel your pain with this. This is a terrible inconvenience. I understand that. I want you to know that we've we've... Uh, not been ignorant of this we've noticed this today we actually have a plan to do something about this so that it never happens again but I'm really sorry for all of this and by the time he went he didn't quite have a smile on his face but he was happy to shake my hand and was very appreciative of it all now naturally you know I want to say things like was the school not here when you bought the house did you not realize that there would be parking issues on this street you know did that not cross your mind you know I want to say things like get a grip it's only a couple of times a year that we do things like this and just you know live with it Um, but of course that's the carnal in me being dragged out by an adverse situation and actually we have to get a grip of things like that and not allow the carnal to come out in us and allow the spirit to have some sway in our lives to let him get in there and inspect us and, you know, and bring out of us a better attitude, a better way of speaking to people, a better way of dealing with people, a way that will say something good about who we are in terms of the people of God and that will help to bring some resolution to situations rather than inflaming them. And we all need to take a lesson from David here and allow God to give us a bit of an examination from time to time and make sure that what's in us is lining up with what God wants and if it isn't to take steps to do something about that to get it into line to get us into shape so that when you know um, John Andrews uh, taught me this uh, and, uh, and we had lots of conversations about this sort of thing he said that you know when you squeeze a sponge what comes out is what's in the sponge if the sponge is filled with water and you squeeze the sponge water is going to come out and we are like sponges you know we soak stuff up and we get full of whatever and uh, if you squeeze us that's what comes out when the pressure comes on that's what comes out and so we need to make sure that our inner sponge is filled with all the right stuff 
so that when we're under pressure, when we get squeezed, the right things come out. Are you with me? Okay. Um, and at the end of the psalm there, uh, as David gets into that, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The last kind of thought in the psalm is this, that we need to be led by God. That God's plan is eternal. And, you know, sometimes um, it's easy, it's very easy to question the plan and the purpose of God when we're in a time when things are a bit rough, when we're in a bit of a struggle. And this whole focus of David that he wants to be led by God into the everlasting, um, I think is a wonderful perspective. You know, um, in a time of recession, uh, in business, people freak out. Uh, business owners freak out, you know. Um, they, they look at um, falling numbers on their spreadsheets and they look at declining business and all of that sort of thing. And they, and they do sometimes all sorts of silly things in response to it to try and beat the recession. Um, I, somebody was telling me, and I, I don't know how true this is because I've not actually seen this myself, but somebody was telling me that um, Toyota, Paul works for Toyota, Toyota have a 200-year business plan. Now, most businesses, let me tell you, uh, if you've ever been taught any of this stuff, most businesses would have at least a five-year business plan. Um, some businesses will have a 10-year business plan. If you're a really kind of futuristic-looking type of business, you might have a 50-year business plan. 200 years Toyota have. Now, what's good about that? What's good about that is this. If you have a 15-year recession in the middle of a 200-year business plan, it's a tiny blip on the chart. It's a momentary inconvenience on this chart. And so you don't overreact. Because when you put it in the context of the whole thing, it's just a minor, temporary thing. You don't overreact. You don't get in a panic over it. Why am I telling you this? Because if our view is into eternity... The mild inconveniences, as Paul calls them, that come our way from time to time, just become little blips on the landscape, which is eternity. Paul, Paul describes them as our light and momentary troubles. Now, we're talking about a guy here who's been whipped and beaten and knocked from pillar to post for the sake of the gospel, and he calls them light and momentary troubles. Why? Because he has a view of eternity. He sees the big picture. And he knows that in the context of eternity and everything that is to come, this is just a little blip. It will not last forever. And it, when it's over and done with, we'll look back at it and we'll smile and we'll laugh because God brought us through it and, and you know, brought a great result about it. All of those sorts of things. But it will be a minor thing because it sits in that great big landscape of eternity. Are you with me? And that's a great perspective to have. Lead me into the everlasting. Now, I want to change tack just a little bit because um, to pull a little bit more out of those verses where David is struggling. And um, to encourage you again about uh, the way that God has created you. I want to get back to our old friend Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And um, before I did this, I thought, oh, didn't I preach on Gideon recently? I did. It was just over a year ago. 
<laughs> so you'll have all forgotten everything. You can't remember what I said last week. So you'll have all forgotten everything that I said about Gideon. So I can come at this really fresh and happy. Um, Judges 6 uh, at verse 11 reads like this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. In terms of the background to this, um, you probably need to understand that the Midianites um, had a, a, a kind of an ongoing um, strategy with uh, the, the Hebrews. They would um, wait while the crops had been planted and uh, were starting to get towards harvest time. And just as the, the harvest was getting ready to be harvested, they would come sweeping in like a swarm of locusts um, give these guys a good beating and then they would take the harvest for themselves and off they would go leaving these guys with nothing and at the time that we find Gideon hiding in the wine press this has been going on for seven years so for seven years the Midianites have been doing this they have been ravaging these guys taking uh, uh, all the, the goodness from them from the land taking everything they've got and leaving them in ruins um, the the uh, can we call them Israelites at this point? I'm looking for a theologian in the room. Can I call them Israelites at this point? I can. Okay. The Israelites, I'm just checking. The Israelites um, had developed their own strategy in dealing with the Midianites. It was called run and hide. Um, so they would do all of the work that they needed to do. And then when the Midianites came storming in, the Israelites would run and they would hide. That was their strategy. And that's why we find Gideon hiding um, in the winepress. He's managed to salvage a bit of food from somewhere. He's managed to glean something, and he's hiding in the winepress. And lo and behold, Jesus turns up to have a conversation with him. How do I know that it's Jesus? Um, well, it's quite clear if you read the surrounding verses that this is God speaking to Gideon in the wine press. This is God in human form. He's standing there looking like a human being and having a conversation. Uh, we know that it's not an ordinary angel because he's described as the angel of the Lord. We know that he's not an ordinary angel because Gideon wants to go away and bring sacrifices and worship him. And if he'd been an ordinary angel, he would have said, you don't worship me, you worship the living God. And so this is God in the wine press. Now, Jesus said, nobody has seen God the Father except me, so it can't be God the Father. Um, you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can experience him and you can see what he does, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. He's a spirit. So there's only one member of the Godhead left, really, isn't there, that this could be. Uh, when God appears in flesh on the earth, we have a name for it. It's called Jesus. 
Okay, This is Jesus in the wine press. He has come to sort Gideon out. And he walks up to Gideon. Goodness me. He walks up to Gideon and says, Hello, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. <laughs> Gideon's like, goodness me. So Gideon has taken himself to a place where he has given up. He's taken himself to an all-time low. He has completely capitulated. Absolutely. He has given up. He has... Listen, God says to him, Jesus says to him, I've got a great plan for you here. Um, I'm going to, you know, take you out and we're going to give the Midianites a good beating and we're going to free Israel. And Gideon says, no, but you don't understand. Now fancy saying that to God. You don't understand. I bet you've never done that, have you? Do I need a battery? Is it? Okay. All right. Just breathe for a second. I'm hitting the pause button. And we're back. Gideon has talked himself out of, out of his destiny, out of his inheritance. In his mind, he has said, there is nothing I can do about this situation. In his mind, he has said, we are defeated. There is no hope. And when challenged, he resorts to this, you know, well, why are you talking to me about this? Do you not know that my clan is the smallest clan? And my tribe is the smallest tribe in the smallest clan. And my family is the smallest family in the smallest tribe. And I am the smallest person in the smallest family of the smallest tribe of the smallest clan. He has built himself into a place of defeat. He has lowered himself to about as low as it's possible to get. He's sitting there, depressed, worn out, his mind is just on his stomach. He can't think about anything else. He just wants to feed himself. He's in moany, moany land. Of course, nobody ever else here gets like that, do they? Nobody gets into moany, moany land here, do they? About anything, ever. No. He's in moany, moany land. He's completely capitulated. He's sitting there thinking, tomorrow I'm going to go out and get a tramp stamp saying, loser. So everybody can see that I am a loser. And they can all join in, in this great loss. That's Gideon, right? That he's in the lowest of lows. He's in the bottom of the pit. And Jesus turns up and says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And he says, where is God? We're in, look at all this trouble we're in. Look at the state of Israel. Look at the state of the nation. Look at the state of what's going on. We've got nothing. We're left alone. We're bereft. And where is God? You're saying God is with us. Where is this God? And what he doesn't realize, of course, is that Gideon is the solution to this problem. Where is God? God is standing with Gideon in the wine press and saying, I know. I know about all of this. And you are the solution to this problem. But Gideon doesn't see it. He's in Moni Moni land, he's in the bottom of the pit. He's just, he's let it all go. He's living in defeat. And Jesus calls him out of that. Hmm. Things ain't what they're supposed to be. Was there a song about that? Things ain't what they're supposed to be. Or is it things ain't what they used to be? Oh, that's it. There you go. Well, either will do. Yes. No. 
Life is not what it should be. And uh, Gideon is blaming everybody and taking no responsibility because he doesn't understand who he is. Now, I know nobody here does that. I mean, you know, nobody ever, you know, gets fed up with the world and thinks it's awful. Nobody ever has a critical thing to say about church, you know, because you'll think it's perfect. You'll think it's how it ought to be and does everything for you that you need to do. And of course, you have a really great pastor who does everything that you want him to do. (laughs) Who does everything that you want him to do exactly the way you want him to do it all the time, exactly when you need it doing. He's there, he's ready, he's on the case, you know. Great staff team, you know, who do everything right, you know. Great associate pastor, great operations director. Everything just, it's wonderful, isn't it? Nobody ever complains. I don't believe that for a second. But you know, if we want things to change, we have a responsibility. If you're not happy with the church, you are the church. So if something needs to change, guess where it needs to start? Gideon needed to learn that where Israel was concerned. He's not happy about the situation. He thinks God has left them. He knows that they're in deep trouble. But he wants it to be everybody else's fault. He wants it to be God's fault. Where is God? How can God be with us if the Midianites are running all over us? He wants it to be God's fault. And Jesus says to him, two things. These are the two things Jesus says. He gets both barrels here. He says, the Lord is with you. Now Gideon, of course, starts to realize that because God is in the wine press, (laughs) standing there, you know, in the flesh, talking to him. But it also starts to dawn on him that God is with Israel. And that if he will rise up and be who he is supposed to be, God will rise up with him and they'll be able to deal with these pesky Midianites. Right there in the winepress, God is with him. Right in his lowest moment, right in the depths of despair, God is with him. But what does he do? Jesus doesn't go into the winepress and start saying, oh, there, there. Listen, would it help if I could get you moved to a slightly bigger clan? You know, maybe we could, um, maybe if I made you a foot taller, would that help? He doesn't get any of that. What he gets is a kick up the backside, saying, you were built for more than this. You have a destiny. Don't sit there in moany, moany land. Get out of your pit and start doing something about it. Because God is with you, is always with you. He's the one who will never leave you or forsake you. And wherever you are and whatever's going on in your life, you know, it's time to do a bit of a review. It's time to ask a few questions and say, am I becoming everything that God has made me to be? Everything that God has called me to be? And listen, I have not departed here from normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. That we understand that our creator God made us for a purpose. That is part of our faith. We understand that that purpose is to do something good and to bring glory to Jesus. Now the something good that you do might be making the world's best panini in the cafe. Or it might be preaching a sermon that gets somebody stirred up. Or it might be being the best car park attendant in the world. So that when people turn up to church on Sunday, they get parked quickly, easily and happily and can walk into the church feeling good. 
rather than stressed and harassed because there's been nowhere to park and they've not known what to do. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, you need to discover what that is and you need to get on the journey of becoming the absolute best at that. The absolute best at being you. Because God didn't call you to be like the person sitting next to you. You know, there are a number of people in this church who can preach. We're not all called to be the same. We all do it differently. We all come from different perspectives. I hope we all bring the word of God and we bring it with clarity and we bring it with a challenge, but we're all different. There are numbers of people in this church who are really good when it comes to catering, but do it differently. Hello? And so whilst there might be some things, there's some crossover, there's some things that we do that other people do as well, actually you're not the same as them. Nobody organizes us like Wendy. Mom. Now we've got some great organizers in the church, but Wendy's totally unique. You know, we are all, each one of us, totally unique. So we're not called to do it like somebody else or to be somebody else, but you are called to be absolutely brilliant at being the person that God created you to be. And that's where Gideon misses it. Because the second thing that Jesus says to Gideon in his pit is this. He says, God is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, listen, just picture this. Gideon is cowering in a pit. He is hiding from his enemy. His principal concern is his lunch. He's managed to gather enough bits and pieces together to make himself lunch, and he's hiding from his enemy in a pit. And Jesus says to him, mighty man of valor. Now the first question you've got to ask is, where? Where is this mighty man of valor? He's just called Gideon that, but Gideon is hiding in a pit. Because Gideon doesn't understand who God has made him to be. Because Gideon doesn't understand there is a call of God on his life to be something bigger. To be a mighty man of valor. Gideon needs a revelation. That God created him to be spectacular. Gideon needs a revelation that God has a call on his life to do something amazing. Gideon needs that revelation. And guess what? Most of us here this morning need that revelation. Hello? Are you getting this? Most of us need that revelation. That God has put something incredible inside of us that the Holy Spirit wants to draw out of us and empower us in, that we become spectacular, that we do things that are just off the chart of our own expectations. Are you with me? Jesus calls out Gideon. He calls him mighty warrior. And of course, Gideon's first reaction is, I don't know who you're talking to. He gets straight into moany, moany land. And as I say this today, you can be sitting there and you'll be thinking, well, that can't be me. Now, I understand it's all Bible, Pastor Dave, but that can't be me because you don't know me because um, I don't have the gifts for all of this. Um, I don't have the personal resources for all of this. I don't have the resilience. I don't have the focus. I don't have the energy. I don't have, oh, there's so many things that I don't have. This can't possibly be me. I want you to know that's complete and utter nonsense. 
that you have, and if you don't have, God will give you as and when you need it, everything that you need to become everything that he calls you to be. And that's the truth of it. And Gideon comes to a realization of that. I mean, Gideon, you know, he's a bit of a wuss, all right? He needs some evidence of this. You know, we've got the whole thing with the fleeces and the, everything else. And he just, he needs to have this reinforced and he needs it saying to him more than once. And he's got to have some evidence that this is what God is saying to him because it's such a big thing for him to do. But Jesus is cool with that. Go and put the fleece out. And in the morning, I forget which way around it is, but in the morning the dew will be all over the fleece but not on the land. Miracle. That's just to prove to you that it's God speaking to you. And that's not enough. But Jesus is cool with that, so the next morning the dew is on all the land, but there's no dew on the fleece. Now, listen, I've got to say to you, if you haven't got it after three times, (laughs) you know, Jesus turning up in person and speaking to you, followed by two miracles, you've got a problem. You really need somebody to clip your ear, you know, bang some sense into your head, because that ought to be enough for each of us but God's alright with you asking questions God's alright with you being insecure God's alright with the fact that you're quite nervous about this and you're not quite sure what's going to happen and where it's going to lead and all of those things he's cool with that but what he does need you to do is get up and make a start what he does need you to do is take that journey of discovering who you are and starting to engage with it you were born for something greater. You have a destiny that God has prepared for you, for you to walk into. And it's much bigger than what you are thinking, than what you are dreaming. You need vision. You need to get to a place. You know, this revelation uh, for Gideon is what changes his life. He starts to see that actually he can be a bigger man. He starts to see that his history and his circumstances do not make a difference to the plan and the purposes of God. That God can overcome all of that in the blink of an eye. It doesn't matter that he is a small bloke in a small family, in a small tribe, in a small clan. In a, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the Gideons are like sw- that the Midianites are like swarms of locusts and overpowering them. It doesn't matter. God can deal with all of that. But he needed to see it. He needed to have his eyes opened to it. And that's what happened. He started to get a revelation of who God is and his ability, which helped him to then to understand who he was and what God wanted to do with him. Because, you know, and I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it again, it's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do when you let him. So if you haven't got the resources, actually, it doesn't matter, because God has. If you haven't got the wherewithal to engage with this and get something going, it's all right. God has. But you've got to get up out of your pit and start to engage with it. And Gideon has this wonderful revelation of who he is and the call of God on his life, which pulls him out of his pit. And then he starts to move with expectation. You know, that I love if you, if you read on after all of this. You find Gideon on a mountaintop blowing a trumpet to call the army out. And the army comes out and starts to gather around Gideon. Now, something must have changed. Because I'm telling you, if, if I was a, a, a fighting man in Israel at that time, and the Gideon who was in the pit got up and blew a trumpet, I would have said, you're on your own, mate. 
the Lord bless you, the Lord help you, but you're on your own. That, because why would you follow him? Something had happened. He'd had a revelation. He moved into a place of expectation that God would do something. Then it says, God filled him with the Holy Spirit. What happened? The power of God came upon him to empower him and enable him for the thing that God had called him to do. So the guy standing on the mountaintop blowing the trumpet is a completely different Gideon to the one who was cowering in the wine press. The one on the mountaintop had started to discover who he was, who God had made him to be, had been filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God and was expecting as he blew the trumpet that something would happen. That people would come out. And they did come out in their thousands to stand with him. And he changed his world. Hello? He changed his world. Now listen, I, we, we get a little bit swamped with this stuff. And I'm coming to a close now, so don't worry. We get a little bit swamped with this stuff sometimes. Because our mission as the church is change the world is bring people to Jesus, change the world. The world's a big place. I remember as Sue and I once, um, when we were in the States going to Springfield, which is where the AOG International Headquarters are, and we had to um, change planes in, oh goodness, I think it was Pittsburgh. Is that on the east side, Pittsburgh? And... and um, uh, Springfield is near St. Louis, which is over on the west side, right? So we'd flown over the Atlantic, and we changed planes in Pittsburgh. And we're on a plane for like seven hours, and we're still in America. It's big. The world is big. It's massive. You know, I, I, it takes me, because of you know changing planes and all of the security and everything else that goes on and, and delays between flights and stuff, and... It takes me a whole day's travel to get from here to Ouagadougou. You know? And I'm only at the top end of Africa. Okay? It takes just as long to get from there to the bottom end of Africa. The world is very, very big. And there are billions of people in it. So God is not calling us to take responsibility for the whole world and billions of people. Because that would be too much for us. Hello? But let's talk about your world. Let's talk about where you live. Let's talk about the people who you have contact with. Let's talk about the issues that you see. Let's talk about the struggles that you see in people's lives. Let's talk about how you and I can engage with our world, with the people around us, in the places where God takes us and the places where God puts us. We should be getting vision for God from that so that we can become everything that he's made us to be in that context and see our world change there are more than enough of us here to turn Stapleford upside down there are more than enough of us here quite honestly to turn the East Midlands upside down if we would just get that revelation from God and start to live in a place of expectation. And then get into action. Engage with the purposes of God for our lives. You know, you are spectacular. You are incredible. You just don't know it yet.
I've known that I am for a while because my, my, my wife told me when she first met me she said you're just like Jesus oh, well I had long hair and a beard she meant I looked like him she didn't mean that you know yes thank you you're fired um, but listen you are spectacular you just don't know it yet you are incredible God, God has given you gifts and ability that are world changing gifts and abilities and our challenge and this is normal Christianity our challenge is to discover what that is and to start to engage with it to lean on God and have him empower us and help us and then to engage with the world around us knowing that we are the agents of change knowing that we carry the presence and the power of God with us to do some good and to see the world around us change that's the call on all of our lives and we'll all do it differently because we're all different people we'll all bring something unique to this because we're all unique individuals but we must we really must get to God and allow him to speak into our lives and to draw these things out of us we must get ourselves so full of the Holy Spirit that he just leaks out of us all over the place and we must engage with the world that God has put us in to see his kingdom come to see lives changed to see people healed and delivered to see people find uh, the Father God who loves them to see people discover Jesus the Saviour who gives his life for them that's our calling it's nothing less than that but you know you are just the people for the job because God built you for it God created you for it you are spectacular you just don't know it yet let's stand I'm going to pray just take a few seconds just to stand in the presence of God I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you to maybe drop something into your heart and your mind in these few moments that might spur you on might help you to engage with the stuff we've been talking about this morning Jesus I thank you for all of the incredible gifts that are in this place, this wealth of just the, the, the uniqueness and the power and the, the ability and the gifting and the insights that are in this room this morning. I pray Holy Spirit that you would come and uh, Lord that you would just speak to each one of us, that you would touch each one of us in, in uh, some way Lord that we can understand, that we can engage with, whether that be our minds or our hearts or whatever, that you would come and speak to us that you would, Lord, reassure us and convict us that you are with us and that you have a plan for our lives. And that, Lord, you would draw us closer to yourself so that we can engage more with you and engage more with your purposes. I pray that even in these moments now that, that you would all receive something from God, that you would receive a, a, a picture or something would stir in your heart or there would be something that you would think of 
that would be a situation or an environment or whatever where you think God might use you. I pray that you would receive that now, that that would stir you, that you would know that God's hand is upon your life and that he is calling you, that he is wanting to draw you closer to himself and that he's wanting to take you on that journey to become everything that he's created you to be. I just pray something would settle in you now. Father, I pray that we would speak words from you to each other, to encourage each other and to stir one another up to greater things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just have the sense that, that somebody um, is seeing pictures of a foreign country. I, I can't make out what the country is, but it looks kind of hot and a little bit desolate, a little bit run down. Um, if that's you, I just want you to know that's God speaking to you. That's God wanting to stir something up in you. Thank you, Jesus. Now I pray that the Lord would bless you. That he would do you good. That joy would rise in your heart. That there would be a smile on your face because you know the living God loves you with a passion and has a great plan for your life. I pray that he would bless you and keep you. Keep you strong. Keep you safe. Keep you well. Keep you connected. Keep you moving on that he would draw close to you, that you would know his presence, that you would know that he is there, that he will not leave you or forsake you. That every step of the way you can lean on him. That you would hear his voice whispering to you, that you would know that it's him. That you would walk with confidence because you know that you've heard his voice and his hand is upon you. And that you would live in the wonderful supernatural peace of the living God that can only come from the living God. That you would live and work and minister from a place of rest and the knowledge that he is with you. And that you are called, that you are chosen that you are part of his plan to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.